Well, good morning, Summit. My name is Aaron Harvey. Uh, it is a privilege to be here. It's such a good opportunity to come back and just to visit a good friend in your pastor and Mark. Uh, you guys have a great pastor who just love his heart, love his passion for the Lord. And it's just amazing to me uh, to be able to come back here and just to see the miraculous work that God has done here at Summit Church. I have the privilege of working with and for the Kentucky Baptist Convention and North American Mission Board and Southern Seminary and all these places. And sometimes you get down into the kind of the academic type of uh, places and you lose just the vision of what God is doing in the field. And it's just so refreshing for me to be able to come here and just to see God at work in this place. And I had the privilege of bringing my oldest son, John, with me on this trip. And so we had the opportunity to kind of do hazard last night and kind of hang out and enjoy just your community. And so we thank you just for hosting us and being so gracious to us as we are here. So Mark asked me to come and be a part of this sermon series, Living a Legacy. And I was super excited about it. Just the the whole idea behind it, this idea of building a life that lasts. And he says, hey man, I want you to preach on integrity. And then all my enthusiasm went out the door because I was like, bro, I mean, the moment you ask someone to teach on integrity or character, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Your lack of integrity or your lack of character. Isn't that the truth? I mean, so let's just really, truly, let's just cut to the chase. Let's lay all the cards out early on. We're all sinners. We are all lacking character. We have all failed in the area of integrity. And so just to be full-blown with you, I'm a sinner. I have failed. I'll just share with you. Let's just throw it all out there right now. When I was in high school, junior in high school, all of a sudden the report cards start being passed out in the classroom. And for whatever reason, I had a Spanish teacher who just loved to read out everyone's grades as, as he was handing out the report cards. And so while there I am sitting in class kind of talking with somebody, and he gets to my report card, and he's like, he looks at it, and he just like gasps. And then he's like, oh, Harvey, this is bad. And so he like hands me my report card, and literally as I get it, I am not kidding you, it was like a 1.5 for that semester. And I got that report card, and I realized my parents are going to kill me. And the moment sweat starts pouring down me as I'm sitting there in that classroom, this girl looks at me right next to me and says, hey, you know, I can do something about that. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, she goes, I can take care of that. And I'm like, we'll do something about this. And so she grabs a report card, next day brings it back to me, and I go from a 1.5 to a 3.6. And I mean, it looked perfect. Now, For you kids out there, you have to remember, this is like 1989. This is before, like, Photoshop. This is before major computers. I don't know if she owned a print shop or what's going on, but she brought back a perfect report card, and I took that home to my parents and delivered it to them. And the moment my mom saw that report card, she was, like, elated. She was like, are you— this is awesome. We have to celebrate. We have to go out to dinner. I mean, we've got to do something. You just knocked it out of the park. And I'm sitting there just all of a sudden just guilt starts hitting you. And you're just like going, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll do something about that. And I mean like it just weighed on me. And weighed on me in such a point where my mom suspected that something was wrong. And she ended up calling the school for my real, for my real grades. And I came home. And she and my father sat me down. They go, by the way, I I called the school today. And I was like, oh, no, this is not good. And she's like, well, we got your real grades. And she's like, that's when integrity or the lack of integrity hits home, doesn't it? Isn't that the guilt that we live with? 
Isn't that when we walk in here and we realize that every one of us are liars and cheaters and forgers and we've done things in our lives that are shameful and are embarrassing and there's punishment that comes with that lack of integrity. And that's the way that we have walked into this place this morning with guilt and burden and that heaviness weighing upon us and we now talk about forming a legacy that lasts. Man, how does God do that? How does he take us where we are and form us and do things in, in a way in, in us that literally not only changes us, but changes other people's lives? Well, we're going to take a look at a passage this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 in the Old Testament, big book. Get there. As you're getting there, this story is about a king, a king named David. And it's about a moment in his life where God intervened and brought such clarity to him that God used him in a moment of integrity, a moment of character that changed someone else's life. And it's a taste, it's a glimpse in the Old Testament of something we call grace. Now grace is something that we're familiar with because Jesus has brought it and ushered it in in fullness and we get to experience the fullness of that grace. But in the Old Testament, we just get a taste of it here and there. And we come to that moment of grace in 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. And the scripture says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now we have to hang out here in this verse for just a while because there's so much that's happening. There's so much that's unfolding and that if we don't understand the background, if we don't understand all that is happening here in this passage, we're just going to we're going to miss it. David is finally king. If you remember his life, he was anointed king by Samuel early on in his life. And then come the great episodes of David and Goliath and his great victories. But then we also remember that he was on the run for years because Saul was after him trying to kill him. Saul was the king. David was the anointed king, but not king yet. And so he went through this long period in his life where he was on the run, and yet he develops this incredible relationship with Saul's son, the heir apparent, Jonathan. Jonathan and David become the closest of friends. I mean, they truly loved one another. And there are the moments where David and Jonathan are pouring out their hearts to one another, but David is still not yet king. But Jonathan ironically knows that David has been called by God to be king and wants him, desires for him to be king. And finally, David becomes king. Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle, and David now becomes king. In this moment where we meet him, the the kingdom has been secured, and now he is in a position to truly fulfill God's call in his life. And what is one of the first things that he does is he remembers a promise. But when we get there, before we understand the promise, we have to understand what he wants to do. In this passage, look at it. He says, Is there still anyone left at the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Now, it's easy for us to just run right over that because the Hebrew word that's used here is so much more than just our English word for kindness. In some of your translations, it may actually say loving kindness, but it's our closest Hebrew word that we have for our English understanding of what is called grace. That unmerited, unearned, unrepayable gift in favor of 
God. This Hebrew word carries with this idea of loyalty and strength. It carries with this idea that you, I'm putting you before myself. I mean, there is this so much that's encompassed with this idea. And later on in verse number 3, he says, I want to show someone the kindness of God. And we know first and foremost that in order for David, in order for us to extend that kind of grace, that kind of loving kindness to somebody else around us, we first and foremost have to receive that grace. Man, God is the one that comes, and he's the one that initiates that relationship with us, and it's formed, it's established, and it's sustained by what we call grace, that unearned, unmerited, unrepayable forgiveness and free gift of God's love that he bestows upon us. And have you ever seen or experienced great moments of grace? Well, my pastor, I go to a church called Sojourn Community Church in Louisville. A guy named Daniel Montgomery, he and another guy, Timothy Paul Jones, just wrote a book, just came out, called Proof. And there's a moment in there where Dr. Jones is talking about a, an episode of when he truly experienced God's grace, and where God defined it for him. And it came about when he was adopting one of his children And when he was adopting this child, this child had actually been adopted before and found out through that adoption process that this little girl grew up in a home where every year that family went off to Disney World. But for whatever reason, they only took their biological kids to Disney World and they never took the adopted kid. And so she had to stay home every year while this family went to Disney World. And when Dr. Jones found that out, he I mean, as any father would, the first thing that he said, we're going to Disney World. I mean, like, are you kidding me? You're coming into this household. You now belong to us, and we are going to take a trip to Disney World. And so he made these huge plans, elaborate plans to go to Disney World. And as they were getting, approaching that date for them to go, he would love to tell you that this girl had stellar behavior, but that was absolutely wrong. I mean, she was she was just being a devil child. I mean, it was just getting bad in the home. I mean, she was just reckless with his, her words and her actions. And he would pull her aside over and over again and like, I mean, what is going on? Why are you doing this? And, and he even writes in the book, I mean, there was a moment where the temptation came upon me to say, man, I was almost about to withhold Disney World from her, but I did not go there. I said, man, I'm not going to do that. No matter how bad it gets with this, we are not going to withhold going to Disney World from this girl. But yet, the behavior became worse and worse and worse. And he was like, even to the moment of them leaving for Disney World, it just got, I mean, horrible type of behavior. But they went anyway. And they went and they just did Disney World. And you know how Disney World is. You go and it's exhausting. You stand in line forever. You're trying to get into these rides. And finally, after that very long day of going to Disney World, they're in the hotel room and everyone's just kind of laying down and they're exhausted. And he comes beside his new daughter and says, man, how was your first day? How was Disney World? And they just talked about how much she enjoyed it and how much she loved it. But then she said something that he said, I'll never forget. As he was about to walk away, she says, but daddy, I realized I didn't get to come to Disney World because of my good behavior. I got to go to Disney World because I belong to you. Man, that's grace. We do not get in a relationship with God because of our good behavior. We are given a relationship with God because we belong to Jesus. And the first part, you guys can go ahead and give it up. And so for integrity to really happen, for us to be men and women of character in a world of compromise, it begins with, with a relationship with Jesus. It cannot happen apart from him. 
And so when we come to this moment where David is looking to extend kindness, grace to someone who does not deserve it, we have to understand that God has intervened with him first. He's been given a relationship with the Lord. He has been anointed by God. He has been empowered by God. He has walked with God. And now he is, he's in a position to remember a promise that he has made. Up on the screen, it's going to be given to you. But 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse, verse number 14, is the actual promise that we are given. I want you to look at the promise that is made beginning in verse number 14. It says this, Jonathan is saying this to David. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love, listen, from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. And he loved him as he loved his own soul. And so what is Jonathan and David? What is happening between them? Jonathan knows that David is going to be king. And he says to them, do not cut off my house. What does that mean? It means that when you became king at this moment, you wiped out all rivalries. Anyone who had a claim to the throne, you removed them. And you removed them physically. You cut them off. And so what Jonathan is saying is saying, David, when you become king, do not cut me off. Do not cut off my descendants. Do not cut off my house. Even though it's your right, even though it is supposed to be done, even though this is our culture, I'm asking you to do something that is counterculture. I'm asking you to be a man of character and to do something that is unprecedented. And so David is now king. Jonathan has been killed in battle. Saul has been killed in battle. But yet David, as he's on the throne, when no one is looking, nobody is asking him to do this. No one is saying, hey man, remember that promise that you made because no one even knows of this promise. At that moment, David remembers. And that's when we come back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, and let's read it again. And so it says, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness, grace for Jonathan's sake? Now this is a moment of integrity. And I want you to be ready for it. I want you to prepare yourself for it. This is a moment of character. This is a moment where David literally, through integrity, is about to change someone else's life. And this is exactly what God can and will do through us if we are so willing to give him full control and full submission of our lives. He literally will take us, and through character and integrity, he will change other people's lives. Take a look at verse number two. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now I want you to just hang here for just a moment. So out of his integrity, out of his desire to fulfill this promise that he made, he goes on a search. 
And he goes throughout his kingdom and he finds a former servant of the house of Saul, of King Saul, and he brings him in. Maybe he will have some knowledge. Maybe he will have some information that is, that's, that is necessary and that is good for David. And so he brings him in and he asks him, is there anyone still left? And he says, yes, there is a son of Jonathan. But do you notice how he answers this question? Yes, but he is crippled in both feet. Now let's read between the lines here for just a second. Ziba is basically saying, yes, there's still someone alive, but David, he's not worth your time. He's not worth your effort. He's lame. He's actually injured. He's not someone that you want in your presence. He's not someone that you should even be bothered with. He's not worth your time. He's not worth your promise. And here's we come, we come to a moment. Man, are, are people around us worth integrity? Are people around us worth godly character? Whether or not we think that they have any physical value or not, Are we willing to pour into other people's lives, whether or not they offer us anything? But let's take a look a little bit and just understand how in the world did Mephibosheth, who we're about to meet here, become crippled? Back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, if you do a little history on him, you realize that when Saul and and Jonathan were killed in battle, out of fear of David, Mephibosheth is picked up, he's five years old, and a nurse falls while he, there he's running and carrying him, and he is crippled because of someone else's mistake. He's crippled, he's injured, he's lame, not because of what he has done, but because of what someone else has done, and we meet him later in life. But David is not deterred from fulfilling his promise based upon someone else's goodness. Do you see Christ in this? Do you see this foreshadowing? Do you see that Jesus coming in the line of David? Do you see the fullness of grace happening right now off of these pages? That what is David's reaction in verse number four? And the king said to him, where is he? I mean, he is not deterred from that information, the fact that he's crippled. And Ziba says in here, and Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar, which for us, we understand, is way out in the desert. I mean, it's way past hazard. You understand this? I mean, we're way out in the sticks, people, all right? We're way past hazard. You guys didn't even laugh at that at all. People, let's say time to wake up. I mean, we're out in the sticks here, man. I mean, we are hiding. He's hiding in fear. That's what the Scripture is telling us. In verse number number 5, Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. In verse number 6, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, face and paid homage. And, king, and David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that, I should, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table." Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is in a tremendous act of integrity, an act of character. And this is, honestly, this is where our legacy is built. This is where our legacy lasts when we, by the power of the Lord, the relationship that he's given to us, understanding that there is the forgiveness of sin, that which we have received, now we're looking to extend to those around us. And we begin, first and foremost, how is a legacy built? As it is built with David. First and foremost, he remembers the promise. I mean, there are promises that we have made in life, aren't there? We have made promises in our marriage. There's a marriage covenant. There's a marriage promise that we have made to one another to remain faithful, to love, and to cherish. Do you remember the vows that you you exchanged with one another? Do you remember the exchanging of rings, that physical promise, that physical reminder that we belong to one another? There are promises that we have made being parents. We have promised to provide. We have promised to protect. We have promised to raise them up in the Lord. Man, I'm a father of five kids. I can tell you right now, there are moments where I want to destroy every one of them. You see what I'm saying? I mean, there are moments when you want to break that promise. You're tired. You're frustrated. You're angry. And they just come chirping and chirping and chirping, and you're ready to, like, eliminate the chirping. I mean, have you been there? Have you been there as a parent? I mean, I brought my oldest son so that I could just beat him down a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm just messing with you. But I mean, like, there's, there's hard things. There are promises. There are promises to employers that we've made. There are promises to our community that we've made. There are promises to our neighbors that we have made. There are promises to friends that we have made. And it's by the grace of God that he helps us to remember. That he helps us to remember the promise that we've made to someone else. Because you know what sin does? Sin. Sin makes you forget. Sin makes you focus on yourself. Sin elevates the me, myself, and I over every other person around you. And what grace does is it helps you remember the promise. It helps you remember those around you. And it empowers you to do what? What does David do? I mean, we're talking major effort here. First and foremost, he has to go and he has to do research. He has to go find out, is there someone still existing? And then not only that, then he has to bring that individual into his presence. And then what does he do? Then he gives to him all the land, all the property, all the wealth that his grandfather Saul once possessed. Hear me very closely. Character and integrity is always going to cost you something. It's always going to cost you something. That's why it's so difficult to live by. That's why sometimes it's so hard to do because we, it always costs you something. It cost David a tremendous piece of his kingdom in order to fulfill the promise that he once made. To live with integrity, to be a man and a woman of character in this world of compromise is always going to cost us something. It may cost you popularity. It may cost you influence. It may cost you that promotion. It may cost you that next great house that you want to live in. It's going to cost you something, but I'm telling you, it is eternally worth it. There are very few moments in life where people will see Christ more in you 
than through an act of character and integrity. When you die to yourself and you elevate the needs of others around you, that is a Christ-like moment. When you as a father truly serve your children and invest in them more than anyone else around you, and I mean in a spiritual way. I'm not talking about in an idolatrous way. I'm not talking about lifting them up on your Twitter or your Facebook page and making them sound like they're Michael Jordan when they're not. I'm not talking about that overblown flattery. I'm talking about investing in them spiritually and helping them grow in the gifts that God has given to them. When you sacrifice your time and your effort to make that investment when you as a husband or a wife remember the promise that you made and you put the priorities of your spouse above yourself man i'm telling you that's a moment of integrity that's a moment of character but it's always going to cost you something it's going to cost you maybe that new item that you want to buy Maybe it's going to cost you the time that you wanted to spend on yourself. Maybe it's going to cost you what you, you, you selfishly wanted to do. It's going to cost you something, but I'm telling you, it's eternally worth it. Why? Because someone else's life is changed. Where was Mephibosheth before David showed up? Man, he's living in the sticks, man. He's living in fear. He's hiding He thinks he's worthless. How did he describe himself to David? Why would you do this to a dead dog like me? Man, isn't this the way we feel at times? Isn't this the way that we feel that God views us? He views us as a dead dog, as something that is worthless. And yet, through that one act of character, that one act of integrity, someone's life has been changed. And I want to encourage you. If you've received the grace of God, if you have been saved, if you've received the forgiveness that only Jesus brings into our lives, man, we are in a position of influence. We are in a position of power by the Holy Spirit to go and to remember the promises that we have made, the promises that God has led us to. And now we get to fulfill those promises with faithfulness, with integrity, with character. And guess what? Lives are going to be changed when we obey the Lord Jesus. But some of us may not be in the position of David this morning. We may feel more like we are Mephibosheth. And we feel like we've, we've lost it, man. We've blown it. We're crippled. In life, we have been crippled. In your relationship, your marriage may be crippled right now. Your relationship with your children may be crippled right now. Your job may be just crippling to you right now. And you feel lost. You feel distant from God. Here's the message that you've got to hear from this passage as well as we've already heard from David. You've got to hear that God loves you. You've got to re- you have to remember that God does not forget the promises that he has made. It says in 2 Timothy that even when we are faithless, listen to this, he is faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. And have you heard that? It is from his character. Where do we get this idea of integrity? From Jesus. The man who laid down his life for you and for me. It says in Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. 
And there are those of us who are here this morning, we have to understand that God has the power to forgive. No matter what you've done, no matter the, how far you have lost it, no far how far you have gone down the road of not having integrity, not having character, Jesus has the power to forgive and restore. And that is the good news of Scripture. Because every one of us in here are sinners. Every one of us in here have failed and are going to fail. And if you lead, read on in the, in, the, in the continuing story of David, two chapters later, in chapter 11 of the same book, you know what happens? A little episode called Bathsheba. You know what? Some bad stuff goes down. But yet God does not abandon him. Even though we are going to go through some highs and lows in this world, guess what? He is always there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. His presence is greater than our circumstances. His forgiveness is more powerful than all of our sin. And he now extends that invitation to you and to me to fully be brought into his home, to be brought into his kingdom. Just as David welcomed Mephibosheth into his home, and what does it say? You are going to do what, Mephibosheth? You're going to live in the house next door? You're going to, you know, be distant from me? What does it say in the scripture? No, you are going to do what? You are going to eat at my table. You are going to be as one of my sons. I mean, this is the kind of fellowship that God brings us into. He has us eating at his table. You get to eat with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. David is no longer king. Guess who's king? His name is Jesus. And Jesus himself, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, is now asking you to come and I want you to eat at my table. I want you to be as one of my sons and as one of my daughters. And I want you to experience the fullness of my grace and the fullness of my power. And what's to say at the end? And he was still crippled in both feet. He receives us as we are. Isn't that amazing? Is that not amazing grace that we just, read, just sang about? That is amazing grace that he would extend to us this forgiveness and this invitation to know who he is and willingly and joyfully bring us into his home and establish a relationship with us now and forever. And that's why it's so critical for us to grow in that relationship with him because now we have the privilege to now extend that kind of grace to those around us. And that's a privilege that is an honor. And we get to do that right here in the right now. And we're going to move into a time of invitation. We're going to move into a time of response. And this is a time for you to get alone with God. This is a time for you not to leave the same person that you came in here. This is a time for you to get alone with the Lord and ask yourself, man, am I in a position of David right now? I've received the forgiveness of the Lord. And who do I need to go and fulfill that promise with? Who do I need to go and be faithful to? Who do I need to go and to be a man of character or a woman of character to right here, right now? Let the Holy Spirit place upon you those names, those relationships that you need to go and you need to impact today. But you may not be in a position of David. You may be a Mephibosheth and you need to receive 
the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. You need to receive that which only God can grant to you. And that is his love and his grace and his forgiveness, the salvation that only Jesus brings. You need to get alone with the Lord. And as you do, then Pastor Mark is going to come and he's going to give you some instructions. But this is your moment. I mean, don't miss this. God is about to do something miraculous. He's about to do something holy in this moment. He is going to restore relationships. He's going to restore marriages. He's going to restore relationships with your children. He's going to do something miraculous. Allow him to have all of you this morning. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you. And Lord, it is just with humility that we come before you and your throne. And Lord, we just thank you so much that, Lord Jesus, you would invite us, that you would want to be with us, that you would desire to have a relationship with us. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you have the power to forgive our sin and that you have the power to restore. And that, Lord Jesus, you have the power to change our lives and to change the lives around us. Father, may you have all of us this morning. May you do exactly what you need to do. And Lord, may your name be honored and glorified. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give it up for Aaron one more time. Man, that was awesome. And, you know, I was, I was there in my seat, and I don't know if you were like me. I was just, my, my hand was just, just going like crazy. I was taking some furious notes over there. And Aaron just brought up so many good things that I want to bring to us right now in our time of response. Right now. And, and here, here's why I'm convinced that, that we needed a message on integrity. It's because I love the way that Aaron started. It's because we convinced, we're convinced we're not people of integrity. You know, we blew it this week. You know, we had promises that we broke and we, we snapped at our kids and they, and they didn't deserve it. And we didn't put our spouse before, before ourselves and we wanted them to serve us instead of us to serve them. We broke promises at school. We broke promises at work. And so we walked in and we just feel like failures and we feel like losers. And what I'm convinced of is what Aaron talked about this morning is that God can take us no matter how crippled we are and lame and and how much we feel like we have messed up. God can take us in the middle of our imperfection and by his grace, step in and heal our wounds and make us people that we would not be without his power in us. Amen. That's true. That's true today. And so right now, right now with nobody, let, let's keep movement as minimal as possible. Because I think that right now is the time where some of us need to recommit. You know, one thing that Aaron said today that I wrote down that I will tweet later because I'm a furious tweeter. I love that he said this, if we are willing to give God full control and be fully submitted to him, then through integrity, God can change others' lives through us. But it all comes down to if we're willing to give God full submission and full control. Hey, are you holding back this morning? In your marriage, with your kids, at work, there's somebody 
that God laid on your heart today through this message. And he wants to use you to impact their life. And you have been saying, God, I'm not worthy. God, I'm such a screw up. God, God, other people. And God's wanted to use you in your school, in your work, in your sphere of influence as a person of integrity to make a difference. And you have been trying to walk away. Today, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is telling you it's time to stop trying to walk away. And instead of walking away from the impact that God would want to make through your life, it's time for, you, for us to come, just imperfect as we are, and say, God, I feel a whole lot like Mephibosheth in this story. I feel really crippled and lame and messed up. But I want to lean in to everything you have for my life. Some of you need to do that today for the very first time. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And what you'll find is not rejection. You'll find an invitation because Jesus wants you to come. And just like Aaron so beautifully said at the end, he wants you to come and eat with him at his table. He wants you to become a son or daughter. And you don't need to go out this morning and try to have integrity first or character or keep the Ten Commandments or become a church-going person or clean off your life. You just need to come as you are today to Jesus and let his grace make all the difference because his grace will make all the difference can anybody say amen his grace will make all the difference you just receive it would you pray with me dear Jesus have your way right now let none of us hold back let none of us hold back because you are not holding back Don't let us hold back. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, how many of you, God, is laying on your heart? You've got a name, somebody that you work with, somebody in your school, somebody in your house. It might be your kids. It might be your spouse. It might be somebody on your street. How many of you, God, has put a name, a face on your mind, on your heart this morning, and God is saying to you, I want to use you to make a difference in their life. If God's put a name, a face in your mind, in your heart this morning of somebody that he wants to use you to make a difference in their life, would you raise your hand for that person right now? Go ahead and raise your hand. Hands are going up right here in the middle on the side. Hands over over here to my right. All kinds of hands to my left. Anybody in the back? I see hands going up all over. Would you just pray for that person right now? Just pray for them. Just pray for them. And pray that God would use you in their life. Don't be afraid of that. God can use you just as you are. But I wonder if there's anybody here today, you'd say, you know what, Mark? I've got a relationship with Jesus, okay? I I know that I'm a Christian, but I also know that I've been holding back. I've been holding back at my marriage. I've been holding back with my kids. been holding back in my relationship with God. And I don't want to hold back anymore. I am done holding back. I want strength from God. Not to be perfect because because I'm not going to be perfect today or tomorrow. But I want strength from God to become more of who I can be by His power. If you're here today and you'd say, you'd say, Mark, I don't want to hold back anymore. I'm done. Raise your hand right now. I'm done holding back. I feel like I've been holding back. God's saying to me, it's time to be done holding back. Raise your hand right now, really high. I see a hand right over there to my left. Anybody else? I'm done holding back at home. 
done holding back in my marriage. Now here's the commitment that some of you need to make. Some of you today, you are here and you're not a Christian. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. His grace has never changed your life. And if that's you today, right now, this is your opportunity to experience the grace of God for the very first time. And I'm going to pray a prayer. These are not magic words, okay? These are not like... These are not magic words or anything like that. But what this is, this is just me coming alongside of you. Maybe God is speaking to you today. Maybe you're tracking with this message in a way that you didn't anticipate. And something inside of you says, I need God. That is God. It's God talking to you. You're in that seat and you're thinking, man, I need God, but I don't know what to do. What you need to do is you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Again, these aren't magic words, but I want to help you verbalize what God's doing in your life right now. So if you want to make the decision and begin to follow Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer with me today. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me. Make all things new in my life. I want to follow you from this moment forward to the best that I can with your strength. In your name, Jesus, amen. Keep every head bowed and every eye closed, but if you just made that decision, you just made the most important decision of your life, and I want to celebrate that decision with you today. So if today you are making the decision to follow Jesus and to start a relationship with him, I want you to raise your hand right now, really high. Just raise it right now. Don't be ashamed. And if you are making that decision, I want you to look at me. I see a hand going up right over here. If you're making that decision today, raise your hand. Uh, just look at me. If you're making the decision today to follow Jesus for the very first time, to begin a relationship with him, look at me right now. When you came in today, you got a connection card. On the back of that card, there's a box that says, I gave my life to Christ. Do not leave today until you let somebody know that you've made that decision today. In fact, when you leave the auditorium in just a moment, there are people in the back of the auditorium. We want to give you a Bible, and we've got a book that we call Seek First. It's for you today. We want to give that to you. So on your way out, just grab those. We've got volunteers that are going to be in the back. We would love to give you one of those books so that we can contact you this week and help you take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe God's moved in your life today and you're saying, you're saying, I'm done holding back. Let us know. Write that down on your card. And when you give it in in just a moment, let us pray for you this week. Maybe God's leading you to take the step of baptism. Let us know on the back of that card as you, you can give it to us on your way out. We'll contact you. We'll help you take that next step. Maybe you want to serve. Whatever God's done in your life, church, He doesn't want it to end here. So let's take the step Let's do whatever it takes to see all that God has for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for everything that you've done in our time together. I thank you for Aaron. I thank you for his willingness to come and just to pour into us today, just to invest in us. God, if our church, if our church made ourselves available to you and simply said, God, use my life to make a difference the result would be more than we could ever imagine because you are a God with no limits. You are the God of more than enough. So God, I pray that you would use our church to make a difference that can only be explained by a true work of God. In Jesus' name.
name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Church, let's thank God for today. Let's thank God for Aaron and his son. Now listen, don't anybody leave because I've got, I've got three things that I need to say to you very quickly, and then I'm going to let you go. Three things that you need to know. If you leave right now, you're going to miss it. Three things. Number one, number one, hey, if today's your first time, you're new at Summit, you've got questions you want to know how to get plugged in. Right here in this corner, in this section, right now, immediately after this service, we're going to do what we call the VIP event. That's for anybody that's new, want to know how to get plugged in. Hey, what's this church about? Where's this church going? I would love to meet you. Some of our other leaders would love to meet you. It's right here in this section. It's only 15 minutes long, okay? Only 15 minutes. But it's right here. Please, please, please stick around for that. Some of you have already let us know you're going to. Maybe you didn't plan to. You just want to. It's right there. Second thing you need to know about next week is Father's Day. Or as we're calling it, it's Man Day. Men, where you at? What's up? Now, here's what you need to know about Man Day next week. We're having, for the ladies, we had the candy bar. Remember that? For the men next week, we're having the bacon buffet. And we're going to have people sign a waiver because we are not responsible for what happens to you at the bacon buffet. It's going to be intense. It's going to take years off your life, and it will be worth it, people. Worth it. I hear there's, there's going to be pancakes deep-fried wrapped, I mean bacon deep-fried wrapped in pancakes drenched in syrup. It's going to be bacon sundaes. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So here's what you need to do. Guys, you can wear camo, wear your favorite team's jersey. Did you know that on Mother's Day we were just shy of 600 people? Men, can we beat that? Can we beat that, men? We can beat, let's step up. Let's step up. Let's be men. Let's go all in. If you need to watch Rocky Four and Braveheart this week to do it, you get pumped and do it. Let's go. All right. Next week, we wrap up our series, Living a Legacy. It's going to be so much fun. That's next Sunday, Man Day, right here. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Write this down on your calendar. August 1st through 3rd. August the 1st through the 3rd is what we're calling VBX, Extreme Vacation Bible School. It is unreal. It is out of this world. We're going to have more information and opportunities for you to get involved here in the next coming weeks. Watch Facebook. Watch Twitter. Watch our website. Allison Pratt is heading this up for us. She's going to do a phenomenal job. Her and some other leaders that she's wrapped around her. And listen, it's VBX Extreme Vacation Bible School. It is going to be absolutely unreal what God's going to do at VBX August the 1st through the 3rd. Next week is Man Day. Let's show up and let's just eat bacon and have fun and watch what God does next week. Do not miss it. Hey, guys, listen, first-time guests, we got something for you out there in the lobby. I'd love to meet you, though, at the VIP event right here starting in just a few minutes. You guys are dismissed. Love you. Have a great, great, great week. See you guys.